Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. Hello, and welcome to The Leader's Notebook. I'm Mark Rutland. I'm the executive director of the National Institute of Christian Leadership. You can find that website at thenicl.com, and I hope you'll look it up at the end of the broadcast today. I'll, I'll come back and talk to you a little more about the NICL. But this podcast is The Leader's Notebook. In The Leader's Notebook, I'm determined to consider four things, four aspects of human existence. Life, life itself. What is life about? What, what are we after? What does it mean? What is the... What is the reason of our existence? Relationships. How does our life connect with, rub up against, uh, interact with the lives of others? Life and relationship and leadership in life and in those contexts of those relationships, we are often given opportunities to lead. I've, I've been in leadership for more than 50 years from the time I played junior high school quarterback until I was the president of two different universities, the pastor of a mega church, pastor of multiple um, small and mid-sized churches, and then the founder of a mission organization, an overseas missionary preacher, and, and now the executive director of the NICL. So I've been in leadership in a wide variety of things. So life, relationships, leadership, and then finally and ultimately faith. How does our faith undergird and inform all of the other three? I'm so glad you've joined me today for the Leader's Notebook. And I want to talk to you about a very unusual topic. And it may sound from the title that it isn't unusual, but I believe you're going to hear a very unusual approach to it. What I want to speak on today and share with you about is the danger of legalism. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a church-going person, then legalism may have a certain uh, sound to you. It may, it may mean a certain thing to you. Legalism in church circles often is understood to mean all of the rules of clothesline holiness. How short can a woman's skirt be? How long can a man's hair be? Whether a man can wear an earring, whether a woman can wear makeup, whether you can go to the movies or use alcohol or any of the things that we use to define or talk about legalism. But that's, that's only an aspect of legalism. That's not the essence of true legalism. The danger of that kind of legalism is pretty obvious. It, it shrinks your life and it defines uh, people's Christianity in terms of the things that they do and don't do, which is a very narrow view of faith. But none of that is what I want to deal with today. What I want to deal with is the true character of legalism as a philosophy of life and the danger that it poses. So what is legalism? Legalism is a reductionist philosophy of life that sees all of human life as a set of if-then propositions, that the whole universe, all of human existence, all of reality runs on a set of immutable laws that are if-then propositions. If this, then that. So if you see, legalism reduces life to these legal 
legal sets of beliefs. So in the, under this philosophy, anybody could be legalistic about anything. You could be legalistic about health food. Aren't those folks irritating? If you will only eat bean sprouts and free-range tofu, then you won't get cancer. That's an if-then proposition. If you will only eat this, then you won't get cancer. For the legalist, the law cannot work sometimes. The law cannot work most of the time. Legalism means a devotion to the immutability of the law. The laws have to work. So if the laws have to work, and and this is the if-then proposition, if you eat these things, then you won't get cancer. So if someone gets cancer, the law being inviolable, we work backward from the outcome, backward from the then to the if. So then if someone gets cancer, then we know that somewhere along the line, they didn't obey the dietary rules. You may tell us that you only ate bean sprouts and free-range tofu, but you have cancer. The law can't be wrong. Therefore, somewhere along the line, you slipped into a McDonald's. And we know you did because the law cannot be mostly right. That's legalism. And the danger of that kind of legalism, we'll see what the danger is in that circumstance. It makes the people with the affliction worse than when we found them because now we load onto them in addition to whatever affliction they're dealing with, cancer or whatever it is, we now load on top of them the weight of the law, that you broke the law and therefore you you prove the if-then proposition, and we therefore know that you, whatever it is, cheated somehow or another. And so now they all not only have the affliction, they also have the guilt and condemnation that goes with it. That, that's, that hits at the heart of the danger of legalism. But it can be an if-then proposition about anything. If you will invest in this way, then you'll never lose money in the stock market. If you believe that, then I'd like to sell you a share in the London Bridge. You can follow every rule of good advice, every wise uh, admonishment of stock market work, but there is no immutable law of the stock market. I can only say this, if you live long enough, then at some point, the stock market is going to go up and down. But if you become convinced of the law, that this law has to work, then it, it, one of the dangers is it can bring into your own life all kinds of frustration and disappointment and disillusionment. I did everything they told me to. I did everything they told me to, and the stock market still crashed, and I still lost money, and I feel disappointed. Maybe I did it wrong. I get under condemnation. Maybe I didn't do it the way I should have. Maybe I did it part way. I start to struggle with myself. Then I begin, when I can't find the cause of an effect of this if-then proposition, then I begin to get angry about the law. Somebody imposed on me a law that didn't work. I begin to get angry toward the people that taught me, angry at life. One of the great risks of legalism is a rising tide of anger which springs 
from frustration, disappointment, and disillusionment. I put all my chips on the law, and the law didn't work. It either didn't work because I did it wrong, I violated the law in some way, maybe that I'm not even aware of, that that would explain it, or the law in this case didn't work as well as it should. Now, my understanding of physics, and I'm by no means a physicist, but I've had a a passing uh, dalliance with physics. And here's what I understand. What we call the laws of physics are actually not laws. They are principles that work most of the time under most circumstances. In fact, such a high percentage of the time and such a high percentage of circumstances that they're almost like laws. But the physicists that I know say if you, if you tamper around with the laws, if you change the speed, altitude, mass, velocity, all of those things like that at a rapid enough level, the laws can begin to break down. I believe that's true with the life that we live in, the world, the universe that we live in. There may be things that work a lot, things that work really often, but the the danger is when we try to explain all of life, all of human relationship based on those if-then propositions, we try to hedge our lives in. We try to build walls of safety around us with these laws. And then when the laws don't work as we thought they should or as we were told they should, we come to moments of great disappointment, disillusionment, and anger, resentment toward laws that didn't work or toward ourselves because we do it, didn't do them right or toward others who sold us on the laws. So let me give you an example. Here's someone that says, here's a great promise from Scripture, and it is in Scripture. Raise up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is grown, he will not depart. That's a wonderful, wonderful verse of Scripture. And God wants us to take it and hold on to it and, and believe God for it in life insofar as, as that turns out to be completely true. However, the problem is this. It, that verse of Scripture collides with another scriptural reality, which is called free moral agency. In other words, I can raise a child up in the way that he should go, but he has the right to depart from that way. So that becomes a sort of a positive principle of life. It's better to raise a kid right. You have a higher percentage of possibility that he'll live right and stay right in his grown years But to turn that wonderful verse of Scripture, positive Scripture about child-rearing, into an immutable law does a lot of damage. I'll show you why. I heard one teacher who said, you show me, and this is a quote, you show me what's wrong with your teenager, and I'll tell you what you did wrong as a parent. You see, he's working backward from the then the, the whatever's wrong with your teenager across the fulcrum of the of the of the middle of that proposition to the if and that is if you will raise your child this way then this will never happen that will always happen so if it goes wrong then i know exactly what you did wrong as a parent 
and it places the blame on the parenting, on the way of raising the child as an explanation because the law can't be wrong. It can never be wrong. The problem is this. Here's my question. What about God, Adam and Eve, and the Garden of Eden? That's my question. If that verse of scripture is right, immutable, and never, ever fails, then what if you raised a child in a sinless environment and they still sin? You do them exactly right and you raise them right and teach them right and they still sin. Are you to blame for their sin? In which case, God is to blame for Adam's sin and that's blasphemy. God did not cause Adam to sin. The Bible says God is not a sinner. He doesn't cause us to sin. He doesn't want us to sin. He doesn't tempt us to sin. Adam chose sin despite the environment in which he was raised and how well he was raised and how wonderful his parent was. God raised Adam and Adam still sinned. In which case, I would say to parents, who feel that they raised their children right, they followed the, the rules, if you will, and one of them still went haywire, and they keep saying, what did I do wrong? Why didn't the law work? I say you're taking a positive passage of Scripture that's filled with hope, and you're making it into a, a limited, immutable law. What that verse of Scripture really means is this. Raise up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is grown, he will not depart unless he does. Just as Adam departed from what God had said, God is not to blame for Adam's sin, and you are not to blame for every sin that your children commit or how they depart or leave the way in which they were raised. It can be in everything. You can turn healing, the healing ministry of the church into a legalistic thing. If you will believe this, say this, confess this, stand this way, claim this verse, if this, then you'll get healed. So if you don't get healed, then we work backward. You, the, the problem is you, your faith, your confession, whatever it is. Here's the danger of legalism, is that legalism will almost inevitably, at some point or another, lead to disappointment and disillusionment, and that can cause anger at what we think, who we think, is the author of the law. And that is anger at God. I followed the rules. I did what I was told. I did the if very well. And the then didn't come out as I was told. Therefore, I'm angry at life, angry at others, angry at myself, and ultimately, angry at God. Now, what's the opposite? The opposite is not randomness. It's not to say that nothing works ever. We can't count on anything. The opposite of legalism is this, that God is God. God is transcendent. God is ultimate. God is holy. And that the universe rests in the palm of God's hand. I follow the way of God. He comes to bring me life and that more abundantly. I live the best I can. I raise my children the best I know how, according to scriptural principles. But I live in a fallen universe, and I have to trust and believe who God is to sustain me and undergird me and strengthen me. I don't live in a crazy random universe with no hope and no rules and no parameters. It is that I can't explain everything in my life and everything in the world and everything in everybody else's life with a law. Sometimes the laws of 
what we think are immutable rules that will work, our good, positive hope for how we best live our life. But at the end of everything, we say, I trust God for the outcome. All things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. God is a God who holds you, life, your history in the palm of his hand. Don't put your trust in the law. Put your trust in the Lord. Well, I hope this is encouraging for you today. And I hope that you'll join me next week for the podcast called The Leader's Notebook. Life, leadership, relationships, and above all things, faith. Also, I hope you'll go to the NICL.com and check out the Leadership Institute, the National Institute of Christian Leadership. I'd love to have you in my class. I'd love to teach you. We've had hundreds and hundreds of graduates, and I would love to count you as one of our graduates. Check it out, thenicl.com. Until next time, this is The Leader's Notebook, and I'm Mark Rutland. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.